0: Today is October the 9th, and our chapter for today is 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to try to be more brief than in the last chapter in chapter 7 because all of these chapters, you could speak for two to three hours on literally taking down the verses to the verbiage and exegeting every word. There's tremendous word studies and word pictures. But what I want you to do is not lose sight of the forest because of the trees. What Paul is trying to show from every answer that he gives to these Corinthians who were doing everything wrong is is there no one among you that has gotten it? You need to be wise in Christ. The Word of God is the final authority, not what you feel, because Corinth was a sensual, feely, feely, touchy, touchy kind of people. Well, I believe the Word of God says this, and it says this to me, and what it says to me is the final authority, not what it means. You see, we're doing this all over America today, this touchy, touchy, feely, feely, sin Fundamental mush that gets us in trouble. What you and I need to discover is not what we think the Bible says to us or to this one or that one or to this culture or that culture. What we need to learn is what the Bible says, not what I think it says. Well, not what it means to me but what it means. Once we get to the text and what it means, then we conform our lives to the text, not try to make the text conform to our lives and our want to and our thinking and it just making sense to me. that We don't have any sense when it comes to the Word of God because we are sinful creatures. We are cursed creatures and even after the Spirit of God comes to live in our lives, unless we consistently stay with the truth of God's word, we will be led astray. This is why the great hymn writer wrote, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. You see, until we get to heaven, we're going to be fighting the flesh that's going to try to be continually pulling us away from God and not pushing us toward him. Listen to me. No one drifts toward God. You always drift away from God. How do you drift? You do nothing. You just think it's going to happen. I just let go and let God That is a cop-out. If you're going to make progress in any area of life, physically, mentally, emotionally, any other way, you've got to be intentional about it. Otherwise, you'll drift. If you're just out on a river or you're out on the ocean, you do nothing, you're going to drift. In order to go in a direction, you've got to set a course and you've got to make effort and you've got to intentionally go there or you'll drift away from it. So it is with God. Paul is saying, you're living in a sensitive, sensual world, and what you're going to have to do is make up your mind, you're going to be a follower of Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Anointed One, Jesus the Christ, and if you don't, you're going to end up shipwreck. You're going to end up on the rocks. You've got to set a course and stay the course. And so, when he comes to chapter 8, he starts dealing with the sensitivity of people's conscience. You see, the conscience cannot be your guide unless your conscience has been conformed to the Word of God. Because a conscience can be led astray. A conscience can be seared. A conscience can be scarred. Conscience is not the final Authority, what you believe is not the final authority. God's word is the final authority. And the way we determine what God's word says is we follow guidelines of interpreting scripture that are in the scriptures themselves. We have to learn them. You say, well, this sounds like a lot of work. This sounds like a lot of intention. This sounds like a lot of time. Discipleship and following Jesus takes effort. You say, well, I thought it was all of grace. Yes, grace that enables us to have intention, grace that enables us to obey. The grace of God teaches us obedience, not disobedience. And so when he comes to chapter eight, He's talking about those who have knowledge and think that knowledge is going to get them by. They just live to learn something new, something else that they don't plan to put into practice or obey. He says in chapter 8, verse 1, now concerning the things, now concerning is they had asked him questions about things offered to idols. Now concerning things offered to idols, let me just stop and say this, that people don't understand in our day, that even in the Hebrew culture, even among the priests, when an offering was given, a portion of it was put on the altar, a portion of it was given to the priest and the Levites and so forth. That's how they earned their living through the offerings. They had markets where they sold meat that had been sanctified and given to them, and they couldn't eat it all That because, I mean, these were thousands of offerings of bulls and rams and lambs and goats and sheep and all. Of this, and plus the grain, and the wine, and the oil, and all these offerings, and so they would then distribute that, and they would sell that, and that's how they made their living. And so in the Greek culture, things would be offered to idols and it would be then sold in the marketplace after it had been offered to a false God. And we know that there are no gods. There is no true God except one, and that's the Lord. And so we know that idols are nothing more than handmade or made up or some kind of attachment of something that is inordinate because there's only one true and living God. And just because you carve out something out of wood or or metal or stone, and you say, this is my God, that doesn't make it a God. It gives it and grants it no supernatural power. You and I cannot grant that to some piece of stone or a stick. We think we're gods if we do that. And so what he says is, we know that all have knowledge. You see, people think they know everything. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Let me put that in the language we all can understand. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. You see, when you say, okay, well, I know all of this and have all of this knowledge, you can strut sitting down. You see, if you think that there is pride in the church, go to the halls of academia and you will see people that think they know more than God. As a matter of fact, professing themselves to be wise, they have become fools. I have been around enough school fools to sink a battleship. Because they think they know more than God when they get a Ph.D. in something or a Th.D. in something. And uh, they think more highly of themselves than they should. Not everybody, but many. Many of you that I'm talking to know that very well. He said, if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. You see, it's more important to be known by God than what you know. That's all he's saying. And then he goes on to talk about how important it is that love rule in all of our knowledge. We're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love, the more gifted and the more profound knowledge someone has, the more love has to rule in their lives. Otherwise, they become puffed up and think more highly of themselves than they ought to. And so this is what verses 4 through 6 are talking about. But when we come to verses 7 and following, the scripture says not everyone has the knowledge that I just talked with you about, that something is wood or stone or metal, that there is no such thing as a God except what we make into a God, something we make and worship, something we idolize. There's only one true and living God, but everybody doesn't have that kind of knowledge. Some people think there's really something to these things because of the demonic influence that is associated with them. This is what verses 7 and 8 is talking about. Not everybody understands this. And so verse 9 says, but beware lest someone who has this liberty that you say you have become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you, those of you who have knowledge about eating something that you know it's not bad, but just because of where it came from or what it been associated with, it doesn't make it any less good, but because of what? It has been associated with someone with a weak conscience may say, hey, you better stay away from that. You eat that meat, it's going to contaminate you. And that's been offered to an idol and you're supporting idols. He said, for if anyone sees you, Those of you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? In other words, if you know that you're drinking wine and someone has come out of an alcoholic family and they see you drinking wine and you are supposed to be spiritual and you say, Well, I have every right to drink wine. There's no sense in me not drinking wine. I have every right to eat whatever I want to and I'm not going to live my life. For somebody else, there's nothing wrong with this. Well, there might not be anything wrong with the wine in itself. There might not be any wrong in the thing that you're eating. But if it is causing another brother to stumble, then you don't need to eat whatever that is or drink whatever that is where they know about it, where they can be offended. Why? Because Paul said, is another brother, another person not more important than what you eat or what you don't eat? There's some things you can eat. Do you have to show that you can eat it just to crush someone else? This is what Paul's talking about. Now listen to what he says. And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? That's verse eleven. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against the Christ against Jesus. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again, lest I make my brother stumble. Now here is the higher law. It is the law of love. When we know someone is weak in an area, we need to stay away from it. That doesn't mean you have to shine it the rest of your life. But what it means is when you are around someone that you know that they're very hypersensitive or very sensitive about something, you need to not deal with those things while they're around. Let them have some time to grow. After all, didn't someone have mercy on you? Wasn't someone gracious to you? Paul said there's something more important in life than you doing what you want to do, and that is seeing a brother and helping them to grow and giving them time and God time to work in their lives. Listen, the moment you're saved, you don't have it all together. Twenty years after you're saved, you don't have to have it all together. Fifty years after you're saved, you don't have it all together. Why? Why? Because we haven't arrived. No one has arrived. And the moment you say, well, I've got it all together. I don't grow anymore. That's the day you're going to take your last breath. Because you see, every one of us, as long as we have breath, if we're seeking after God, he is so multifaceted, he is so brilliant, he is so transcendent far above us that you and I will never reach his place. And so we'll be learning all the days of our life. If you are indeed breathing and seeking the face of God, you're going to be learning something new. I've been saved now for 47 years. And I can tell you in the last 10 to 15 years of my life, I have learned more than I have in all the years combined. Why? Because it's cumulative. Because a lot of things that build upon this, that build upon this, that build upon this. I have younger men who have been in the ministry 20 years say, I don't understand how you know this. Well, when I was their age, 20 years into the walk with God, they're far ahead of where I was at 20, but they've still got a long way to go. Why? Because some of the things that God teaches us doesn't come through reading another book. It comes through living life and being seasoned. Some of it's just age. Some of it is just learning that you cannot get everything crammed into a J-term with Jesus. And the apostles, they didn't get it after three years of being with Jesus himself, listening to his lips, speaking, and watching him do the right thing all the time, living with him night and day. And still, the Bible says, after the resurrection, they saw him alive. Some still doubt it. My soul and body, can we not be patient with people? Can we not love people enough to let God have time to deal with? We're so stinking impatient. God help us to love one another in Jesus' name. As we walk on the way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies.